Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole here with Benji Nyson. The last stage of the Giro d'Italia, no ceremonial stage, the TT around, well, into Milan. It's not now and back. And it's about 30 kilometers long. A reminder of the GC standings going into it. Caruso, two minutes back on Bernal, probably a bridge too far. And Yates on 3.23, unable to move from that spot, really, because the rest were about four minutes further behind. Vlasov, Varde, Martinez, and Carthy. Then Almeida, all the way down in eighth, was at 8.50. How much could he jump up, as well as Foss and Martin, pretty much set? So... Huge GC gaps, huge three-minute gaps between the last 15 riders kept this stage going on indefinitely. And the contenders for the stage win, Cavagna, Ghana, obviously, Almeida, Foss, Afini, after his good early TT, who was the first, one of the first riders to set a good time bench. Did Afini go into the hot seat for a bit? Actually, no, because like one of the early riders that I saw starting was Ghana already. And with Ghana starting so early, then I was expecting him to do very well. I think Walshide was first and when it comes to the moment that Ghana started off. And I think Afini started a bit later than Ghana in this time trial. In terms of Ghana's start, I thought he looked good in the first few kilometers. I generally thought he's looking strong and will put in a strong performance. And his times were significantly better than Walshide's times. And I think that he was building a gap and you know that in like other stages where there's like a flat part and then there's an uphill part, they might do like negative splits or something like that to try and make sure that they can base themselves on what they're strongest at. But this is completely flat. So it's kind of trying to keep that same effort for the entire stage and perhaps a bit of a technical parts that you do differently, but that's just the detail to that aspect then. But Gano seemed like he was ready for everything here and he was suddenly like touching his left brake first and then his right brake. So something seemed to be off. I think they were, this was with a good eight, nine kilometers to go, but I wasn't really sure what he was doing at that moment. He had a rear wheel puncture or a puncture and they eventually he had to change his bike. This is deep into the last two, three Ks. And he's been flying, you know, first at first intermediate, first at second intermediate by far. And he still was. He remained the best on those intermediate time checks. And then there was the, he had to change bikes. 20 to 25 seconds at best, that change cost him. And we were thinking this stage is right, you know, being cracked open now. Because it looked like a lock for Ghana, the way he was going. Yep. I mean, he, said, he said he had bad legs afterwards, but um, <laughs> he obviously had pretty good legs. To um, And then Cavagna. So we were like, Cavagna is the real option to beat him. Now, uh, Athene didn't set that good a time. Ghana still beat Athene by 13 seconds. And so Cavagna rolls out. And I've got the time splits here. So Cavagna, at the first intermediate, he's 13 seconds behind Ghana at 10.31, Ghana 10.18. And I think Volscheid was second, actually, but he faded late. Uh, he was second, fourth, and sixth at the T1, T2, T, and finish. Second intermediate. 
21.55, 22 22.13. So is down 18 seconds. So we're thinking, okay, he's cost himself 20 to 25 seconds Ghana in the, t- in the bike change, but he's still obviously putting time into Cavagna on the, in, from T2 to the finish, maybe five to seven seconds. It was going to be a close run thing. The betting was going up and down the live markets. Cavagna favorite, went into favoritism for a bit after T2 and then Ghana came, came down as people realized actually it's going to be too difficult for Cavagna to do. And then there's a last left-hand corner. We see Cavagna going about 50 kilometers an hour on the left-hand barrier. So normally cornering go outside, apex, outside. He's on the inside on the left-hand barrier. And we've got a sharp, really tight corner coming up. He sees it really, really late and goes straight pretty much and locks up his front wheel, goes over the handlebars and crashes. And that was some sort of weird, it's not karma because Cavagna did nothing wrong uh, to Ghana. It was just a weird way for it to happen that the guy who was coming from maybe to contest the stage win also crashes after Ghana had a puncture and bad luck. And that cost him, oh, I don't know, it, probably 12 seconds minimum. <laughs> and he, minimum he co- it cost him. So he loses the stage to Ghana by 12 seconds. Athene third on 13. Sobrero on fourth, 14 seconds. Then Almeida fifth, 27 seconds. Volshard sixth, 33 seconds back. Betiol, Tratnik, Moscon, Kesa making up the top 10. Our last Euro shout out for our show partner, Lacole. Obviously, they're continuing with us for the whole year. Our supporter and show partner for the entirety of 2021, Lacole, who produced performance cycling apparel there products are produced in Italy, the base of Monte Grappa, and the Giro discount code LRCP20 for 20% off is still active if you want to get your hands on any Lacole kit ahead of summer coming up. But had you been doing any maths, Benji? Where did you, before the crash of Cavagna, did you, where did you think this was going to end up? I thought Ghana by about a second or two. I thought it would have been just Cavagna taking it just with a tiny bit in the end, like, I think that Crash did take him more than the time he lost, but it really doesn't really matter. This is part of cycling, Crash and Punctures, no injuries preferably. Um, but it's part of the sport, and they both had their bad luck today. Gana lost time on the puncture. Cavania lost time with the Crash. And if both didn't have anything, then Gana would have won the time trial. So uh, it's, it nullified each other a bit, I guess, uh, on this event at least. It did make sure that everybody else was closer to them at the end. So just imagine how big the gaps would have been if they both didn't have those accidents. But I'm thinking a bit when I see a crash like the one from Cavagna, just a weird thing to do. Like there's corners there everywhere. And usually I think the DS is the one that calls out which corners are coming up. Is I was considering perhaps this is perhaps the DS that didn't call it out correctly or perhaps he didn't hear it or stuff like that. But after the finish line, I think Ghana and Cavagna were talking to each other and it looked like Cavagna was was doing hand gestures. I'm not an expert at those, but hand gestures that didn't make it sound like he was blaming someone in the car. It made it sound like he was blaming himself, that he wasn't uh, attentive or anything. But I could be wrong about that, but uh, I don't know. Speculating. Someone's to blame. It's either his car has not told him left-hand corner coming up. Maybe he's a guy that he they just let him recon the course and he does, doesn't need those call-outs. But 
maybe his earpiece had fallen out, but normally you'd, they'd be telling you left-handed coming up. You remember in the Movistar documentary in the 2019, uh, was it the Bologna TT or maybe the middle TT, the rainy one, when they forgot to call out a corner for Lander and he nearly crashed and the DS was like, that's my fault. Maybe it's the DS fault. If, if that's normally how they do it, then that was a big error to not say short corner coming up, tight corner. Otherwise, maybe Cavani was just over the limit, didn't hear them and was going full and couldn't. He's also, I don't think his handling is the best either. So when he gets himself into a sticky situation, he doesn't have the skills to rectify it and, yeah, ended up going over the handlebars. He said he was pretty sore, actually. Uh, so luckily, at least, he, he's not broken anything, but he's, he says he's he's lucky maybe it's the last stage of the Giro d'Italia. But, so that was the stage result. Ghana was sweating nervously on that result. I mean, he would have won probably by 25 seconds plus, normally, or 20 seconds plus. Now onto the GC men, and there was a big gap, hours waiting now. And uh, Yates was never moving. And the real question was how many spots could Almeida move up? And I've got the GC results here. I'll bring it up now. I've I've tried to order it, Benji, in terms of start time, uh, which is (laughs) pretty difficult. All right, Bernal set a time of 35.41. He did what I thought was a pretty good TT, um, given that he would have been taking the last 5Ks pretty easy. He came 25th, I think, but Caruso wasn't able to do that good a TT. He was only 30 seconds ahead of Egan Bernal. Are you surprised by either of those performances? I think they're about par, their expected performances maybe. Maybe Caruso a little bit underperforming. Yeah, I think that I was expecting a tiny bit more from Caruso, but in the end, uh, we weren't expecting Caruso to jump over Bernal, no. and they defended perfectly. Caruso probably knows that if in the first section he's not getting too much closer, and in the second section he's not getting too much closer, then he might as well just play it safely for the last section to try and actually finish this Giro without an injury. And um, he did that. He's got a second spot, and Bernal has the pink jersey. We'll do a full sort of Giro d'Italia recap in a separate podcast in the next couple of days. This is still just the stage recap. But, yeah, Bernal cleans up the uh, Maglia Rosa in pretty dominant fashion, really controlled the race well in the last third week and controlling and doing a very good TT today, doing what he needed to do. Otherwise, from the other GC men, got Simon Yates. I think he came 52nd. He finished 50 seconds almost behind Egan Bernal. I think he just wrote it in. There's no reason for Yates to do a good TT today yep. because he can't move up or lose spots. So third for him. Vlasov, okay. Martinez, okay as well, 35.09. Hugh Carthy was the big underperformer, yep. 36.15. Where's that? So that's a minute and one after Vlasov. A minute more, a minute and six after Martinez and Almeida 34-15, two full minutes ahead of Carthy. Um, so maybe explain to people what happened with Car- with Martinez and Almeida, Benji, because there's some maths that needs to be done. Yeah, so basically we knew that Almeida was likely to pass a Carthy and a Bardet in GC, but Martinez was pretty far ahead. And to cross that, he would need to cross a significant gap in this time trial on Martinez. Now, Almeida was doing a really good time trial. Martinez was doing a on-par time trial, not a crazy one. I, I also wouldn't say that Almeida was necessarily overperforming this time around. I know it's a nice meme, but I think that on this level, he, he was just doing a good TT, what we were expecting from him. But I didn't expect him to get 
close to Martinez or Possum, but that actually became a very close thing in the end because Almeida was actually setting such a decent time while Martinez was just doing all par stuff and perhaps a bit less than I expected, which meant that they finished the time trial and the difference in GC after this time trial was half a second, meaning that Martinez is ahead of GC afterwards and Almeida is sixth, so out of the top five. Now, how is that calculated? Well, they're basically on the same time according to the GC, but they use the uh, the uh, milliseconds from both time trials to calculate where they are in the classification. And that's why the upper hand here goes to Martinez. And it's very tough for Almeida that he loses it in the same time. <laughs> I know, but I guess... Martinez is a pretty good time trialist. And does he, I don't think he'll care too much, really. He said fifth, sixth, seventh, doesn't really change my career. He wanted a stage win. I think one of the best performances in this stage was Mateo Sobrero coming fourth on, uh, where did he come? 34.02, that's 14 seconds after Ghana. So let's say that's really 40 seconds after Ghana, uh, accepting the puncture, which is out of Ghana's control. He even got held up by the FDJ team yeah. car. So there's a <laughs> there's a chicane. So I think Cavania crashed just before the start of the chicane, but they entered a tight chicane. And there's like, I couldn't believe the number of vehicles, the number of riders in. There's like four riders all bunched up. And Sobrero, Astana, right? You have to exaggerate. There's at least 35. 20 riders. <laughs> there's a highway, right? There's a highway with six lorries. And um, seven Ineos, actually one Ineos Grenadier, because that, you know, The Koenig team bus on the descent of the Splugen Pass, it's all together. <laughs> one Ineos Grenadier is enough to take up a whole road and probably the pollution <laughs> out of it will cost Sobrero 10 seconds as well. And, you know, but anyway, in reality, the FTJ car pinched him. He didn't crash. He's slapping on their door. Probably the UCI will give him a fine for disrespecting the race, most likely one would expect for that sort of thing. And he came fourth still. <laughs> So, young guy, good TT. I think he's had some good results earlier. 24 years old. He's not, not, he's about 5 foot 10, 63 kilos. So, sort of guy you could pick up. And if you're on a different sort of team, he's on a one year deal at Astana. I'd probably be signing Sobrero if I was another team next year on the cheap to see what he could do as a GC domestique. And I don't know, maybe you can win a World Tour time trial that doesn't involve Ghana and Cavania. Um, could be possible. We've got one at the Dauphiné. Come, oh, it's good. Dennis is there. Shit. Okay. It's difficult to win World Tour-level time trials. But anyway, I wanted to give a shout-out to Sobrero. Any other performances you wanted to make a note of, be it better or worse than expectations, Benji? I think that most of the riders performed very well. I think Kaiser is the one that I'm kind of surprised of because <laughs> it surprises me a lot that he's 10th in this time trial. Like, I did not expect that. Like... 30 kilometers, that's long for Kaiser. And we know that you can pace on the flats pretty long, but I didn't actually have him signed up as a uh, godlike TT or, well, a decent TT or, to be honest. But perhaps it's just me that my memory towards Kaiser is a bit vague from the past. He's been around for quite a long time. But GC rider wise, it went expected. I think that Bardet saved his spot versus Scarfi, and that's one of the big ones for me. That's one yep. of the things I didn't see coming. It's just because Scarfi just blatantly underperformed. <laughs> and I think that Bardet rode a bit better than we expected. And that combination makes it that Scarfi is under Bardet and GC, and I'm, yeah, he deserves it, Bardet, if he can uh, pull it off. And Scarfi deserves to lose his spot if he can't pull it off. So it's uh, 
it's all pretty normal on that regard. I think the rest of the top 10 stayed exactly how we expected it to be. And for the rest of the time trial performances, I think that's all in all what we expected. I, I don't think there's like a huge oh, performance. Foss a little bit under, I think. I yep, didn't expect Foss to come out of the top 10 to only finish about uh, 13, no, 23 seconds ahead of Danny Martinez. I thought he'd do better than that. I mean, being beaten by riders like Bodnar and Case a bit surprising. But otherwise, here's the final uh, sort of standings for everybody. So podium, Bernal, then it's Caruso, Yates. Points, Jersey, Chiclamino, Cavagna, oh, not Cavagna, Sagan, finishes the TT, so he wins Chiclamino as we expected. That competition, I think, sucked, frankly. <laughs> I think that was a cursed competition this year, though, because the riders who wore the Chiclamino then abandoned, and then Sagan having the Chiclamino meant that he rode really defensively and passively, so that competition uh, sucked. Bouchard won the Maglia Azura ahead of Bernal. I think Bernal... I think Bouchard got a little bit luckier that Cortina stage got cancelled, Benji, because there was a lot of points on offer there or, or amended. Youth, Bernard wins it again, and Ineos win the team's classification 26 minutes ahead of Yumbo Visma. So my pick before the Giro on the potty wins Bernal. Benji will claim that if De Koenig rode for Almeida all three weeks, he would have won. Maybe you agree with that. Maybe you don't. Um, I disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> he finished seven twenty four back. So I mean, I think yeah. if they wrote for him, then he would have had the ability to try and compete for at least fourth. And yeah, that's that's probably max for me in my opinion. Right. So otherwise, Caruso probably the biggest overperformance. Um, for anybody, I think coming second in this year, and no one expected, and crazy for Martinez to come fifth still. I mean, education first, Benji. They bet on Carthy, or rather, couldn't afford to re-sign Martinez, and he's come <laughs> three spots on GC ahead of Carthy as the domestique of Egan Bernal. Um, yeah, do you see Danny Martinez as the new sort of Richie Port? Because that's the sort of hmm. I see him riding these mountains the same way. He keeps going after he's finished his job and even comes back later sometimes, like he did on Sega Diala. I'm not sure that's the... Hi, I do get what you mean. I do get the comparison you mean in, like, rider-type situation. I'd have to think about that. I can't, like, Both specify a certain rider. Both yeah, bad <laughs> <laughs> Well, so far, Martinez has been a, a bit more lucky. No, never mind. Didn't he, like, crash in, in the tour last year on stage three? Um, I remember I something vague like that, or Higita. Like I'm, I'm switching those around sometimes. <laughs> they both crashed. Anyway, I think it's been a good Giro for Ineos. I think Bernal, good to see him winning. I think it would have been disappointing if he uh, sort of not won because his back had uh, had played up. So yeah, I think it's good. But we'll cover that more in the Giro recap. I think TT Benji more exciting than a ceremonial sprint. Do you think if this had been a sprint, we would have seen Molière and Ewan stay the three weeks? I don't think so. If they just have this one sprint, I mean, either I don't know. Perhaps it would have been an incentive for someone, but nah, I don't think so. We would have seen a, a glorious sprint with um, Cepeda would have stayed in the race to do a sprint. 
Maybe. I mean, yeah, Benji, <laughs> nah, <mate. laughs> we have to, I think we've scuppered about half the Velo game teams everyone by hyping did. up Cepeda. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, Tour of the so Alps. Sad, but, everyone yeah, write not- down. Write down in your books, Tour of the Alps. The results from that are not necessarily indicative of what is going to happen in the Giro d'Italia afterwards. Uh, but, yeah, I think pretty pretty exciting stage, made more exciting by Ghana winning the TT. I think you any last thoughts, Benji, before we move on to the Dauphiné? I think I mainly want to thank everybody for the support we had during the uh, during the uh, Giro that we did, but we'll go ven- venturing more into a thank you in our uh, full race recap, I'm guessing. But already, thank you for the support, and uh, it's been a good three weeks. But races aren't over, and therefore the segue straight into the Dauphiné. Races never stop. Stage one of the Dauphiné, we have an absolutely not stacked GC star list. At the Dauphiné, it's basically Ineos against the world. They've brought uh, Thomas Amador, Gagenhart, Kwiatkowski, Port, Carlos Rodriguez, and Dylan Van Baal. They were going to have Carapaz, and they, then they decided even that would be a bit too much. I think their big contenders are Christopher Clive Froome, Miguel Angel Lopez, Valverde, and Enric Mas. So all three of them's Supposed to be leaders, but none of them the leaders uh, at Movistar, so that's going to be fun. Hopefully, Kelderman going for a good result at Bora. He's had terrible luck so far this season. Uh, McNulty, nope, I don't think so, given the profiles we have here. And Haig and Turns are going for GC at Bahrain Victoria, so I think they pulled out poles. Uh, and Quintana's here as well for Arkea Samzik. But we, we didn't have time to do a preview, I'll be honest with you, and we're not going to do a full preview all i can say is stage eight is nasty and stage seven has got some big climbs in it too this is you need to be able to climb there's no sprint the best sprinter here is sonny cabrelli so i think that tells you about the uh parkour we have here at the dauphine first stage is Iswa, 183 k's they do a circuit of a 3.2 k climb followed shortly after by a 1.6 4.8 percent climb tailwind finish no real, as I said, no big sprinters, teams, and Ineos probably not too fast on letting Kwiatkowski go up the road for a stage win, despite, you know, the we ride differently jargon. Break out a chance. Who was in it this morning? Benji. So one of the first riders to be in it was Brent von Moore, lotto rider. He's got a bit of a history the last two weeks, but he was accompanied by three other riders in the breakaway today, and they weren't necessarily the riders that you would be... Uh, calling out for a potential stage win with a breakaway. So Ian Garrison on on the Koenig. We had Cyril Gauthier for BNB Hotels and Patrick Gamper for Burahamsgrohe. Gamper is more of a a bit of a punchy, with a bit of a sprint, something like that. That's what I see as Gamper, but a good ruler as well, if I remember correctly. But this breakaway, while those riders don't necessarily shout, oh, breakaway victory, they do have really strong flat skills, like they can keep on pacing, except for Gautier, perhaps, who's more of the, the climber type in this breakaway. Um, I think this breakaway was holding on to a decent gap, but we saw that a few teams in the peloton were very eager to try and uh, set things up for their hilly sprinter. I wouldn't say fully sprinter, because we saw that Bahrain and Climby UAE... sprinty boy. <laughs> Climby sprinty boy. That's exactly what uh, what is true. And we saw that they were trying to set things up for the uh, sprinters that indeed have hilly capabilities. And UAE did that for Christoph, and I think Bahrain was trying to do so for Cold Rally. They were pacing basically the majority of the stage until we arrived into, was it the last 25 kilometers when we saw this, the breakaway split up a bit? 
Yeah, so Brent van Moor, he was the strongest in the break. And I thought he was doing what in Catalonia, Lotto Sedal, they wanted to get one of their young riders into the uh, climbing jersey, their KOM classification jersey. And I think in Catalonia Stage 1, that was their target. Then they got caught by Movistar. But Brent van Moor dropping the break uh, on, on those climbs. I think Padun and Hala chasing for Bahrain Victorious. We saw riders getting dropped. Pedersen getting dropped very early on that pressure. Christoph not, but eventually he was later. So it was tough because UAE, if we don't chase hard enough, we're not going to catch the break. But if we chase too hard, we could drop Christoph. I think they would have been better to have a Rui Koshta type actually to attack on the final climb. Tim Wellens, one of the men for the stage, was never going to attack because he's got Brent van Moor in that breakaway. So it was a really difficult stage for teams to control. Uh, when did Brent van Moor eventually go clear, Benji? It was one of the last climbs, I think. Yes, it was It was one of the last climbs on which Ineos was basically trying to control every small attack in that, you know, I could call it the lead group, but it was basically from the majority of the peloton that was still there, except for the, the real sprinters, like you mentioned. But Brent van Moor was dropping, I think, Gumper as the final rider that was in his wheel. And Brent van Moor is a decent time trialist. He's got decent time trialing results. So him going alone means that he doesn't think that the tempo of Gumper is strong enough or Gumper can't follow his pace that he's trying to set up at the front of the group. And Van Moor can really keep up a decent pace for quite a while. I think that a good comparison is made by Thomas de Gent himself, who says that Brent Van Moor is the new Thomas de Gent on Twitter today. <laughs> so um, I honestly find it a perfect comparison from the types of things we've seen him do recently. But... He made that move indeed. He dropped Gomper and he had, I think, a 50-second gap still at the top of that climb on that elite group. That was with a good uh, 11K to go, 10K to go. 11, exactly. The problem there is that it has a descent first. And if it has a descent first, then it's hard for the peloton to try and catch back up. And we saw some movements in the peloton as well. A different team trying to take control once that descent was done, trying to crawl back a 50-second gap. And who was that? Well, Felix Gold for DSM attacked off the Ineos pace, and 11K is 50 seconds, doesn't sound much, but Ineos weren't, weren't interested in the stage. They uh, kept Kwiatkowski behind. Perhaps I thought maybe you let Kwiatkowski have a crack at attacking on the final climb, given an opportunity, but yeah, it's GC teams controlling, and, and they don't care about Brent Van Moor taking 40 to 50 seconds. They're, they're going to take that back and more in the later stages in this Dauphiné. So, yeah, DSM trying to send a right up the road. Askren obviously was feeling it because I thought he might have been one of the guys to attack on that final climb and TT on the downhill back to Fren van Moor but he stayed in the peloton and yeah it was basically bike exchange pacing late uh, I think with 8k's to go on that descent they seemed pretty tired they obviously had Caden Groves in the group he's their sprinter here and I mean so it makes sense but bike exchange hadn't helped Bahrain or UAE earlier in the day and so that gap of three minutes which had been brought down progressively it's still too big when Van Moer goes clear and this kind of reminded me of the Taco Vanderhorn Giro stage win where you got you know, <laughs> yeah. spr- sprinters teams with climbing sprinters trying to reduce the bunch but they then take the foot off the gas and they underestimate the strength of the guy up the road and that's what happened today with Brent van Moor once we saw it at 6k's 50 seconds I thought are we getting Italian time gaps except we're in France today <laughs> that time gap was correct he was just holding the gap exactly to a tired I think Halson in bike exchange 
and uh, he managed to win this stage despite Azure Desert Citroën, I think with Venturini, their sprinter for today, deciding they should start pacing with two and a half k's to go. Benji mentioned this on Twitter with a 48-second gap, which wasn't particularly helpful to anybody. Uh, but yeah, big win for Brent van Moor. And I'm not sure we mentioned Benji. What happened? This is his first pro win. Did, uh, something happen, weird happened, which I didn't see with him at Ronde van Limburg last week. Yes, indeed. This was uh, his first proper pro win. And what happened, I think the stage that Merlier won in the Ronde van Limburg, uh, the one we mentioned in our in our Disrespecting the Race video <laughs> we did the other day on this same LRCP YouTube channel. Well, Merlier won a stage, and Merlier won that because Brent van Moer was actually going solo the same exact way that he did in today's Dauphiné stage. But in the last portion of the race, somewhere in the last 10 kilometers, one of those uh, people signaling that he should follow the road in a certain direction had his flag a bit waving yeah, in the middle of two roads. And unfortunately, Brent van Moer went into the wrong one and was directed into the wrong lane basically he went the other way and the peloton therefore ended up winning the stage so a real bummer because he would have most likely won that stage quite simply the exact same way as today so this this could have been the second time he did it in the span of a week and a half now which is crazy because we're gonna see a lot more from this guy and not only in this kind of stuff he's a decent time trialist and therefore i do believe that Brent van Moer could be really fun to watch in the coming uh, in the coming years, I think. Definitely want to watch. Here's the full stage results. Sonny Cobrelli. I knew I was worried this would happen this morning. When I saw the profile, saw the wind direction, I was like, poor Sonny Cobrelli is going to win the bunch sprint for second. And that's exactly what happened. So PCS is lagging on me. PCS, I mean... All right, we're back. I've loaded up first cycling. It's fortunately not lagging. Brent van Moer first, Sonny Colbert second, Venturini third, Sturven fourth, which is why Trek Sigafredi were pacing despite Pedersen being dropped early in the stage. Caden Groves, quite a nice result, actually fifth. Pollitt sixth, Kwiatkowski, Askren, Arumburu, and Valverde tenth. Tomorrow's stage two, 173 k's long, and it's climbing on the menu once again, and possible that a break can win again. Flat for the first 45 kilometers, then they do... 8.6k, 7.2%, descent, 9k's, 4%, rolling sort of ridge line with sort of 4k, 4% climbs, a collection of those, then another descent to the finish before 7.1k's at 6.5%, false summit, descent, and then 1.3k's, 5%, and then descent of 4k's to the finish. Now, if Greg Lenarvan might gotten a break, he, if he was on really good form, I quite like him from this. He's can be competitive on climbs like this depending on the brake composition and Ineos won't be too concerned well, won't be concerned about him. Otherwise David Gudu, I mean How do you think dare you? What you don't you you think GVA's got no chance? Alex Aramburu is gonna win the stage, man. That's actually a good shout though. It's in the stars. Nah, based on Basque Country, that's actually he should if he's climbing like there, he should be okay, right? I'm guessing so, but it really depends on what happens here because you could say that oh, if the peloton somehow, somewhere, somebody's interested in doing something on this stage and keeps the pace, then perhaps the Ineos will set up a pace on, on that final uphill section and 
perhaps we get something weird. But I, I find that weird because then you'd have to have someone attack from your team and actually keep it on the flat section on top. So that's why I'm looking towards perhaps another Amburu or something to make a move in that aspect. But um, I'm kind of doubting whether it's a break stage. I, I wouldn't know who it pays, but there has to be someone interested in trying to get a stage win here at some point. So perhaps Bahrain could try it again, but this time for turns instead of Colbrelli trying to go on that final section, something like that. I don't know. I'm more looking towards uh, potential opportunities of people that are interested in doing it from the peloton, but I can't find too much at the moment. I mean, yeah, uh, maybe there's just going to be attacks on that final climb and a break gets caught. I think... Wellens? Yeah, Wellens is a good option as well as Gagenhart and Kwiatkowski. I mean, it all depends on Ineos this race. Yeah. Like, if Gagenhart pulls and sets up Kwiatkowski to go over the top, then I think he's a good option because the other GC teams won't be completely panicking on Kwiatkowski, whereas Thomas, obviously, they're marking him. Do you think someone like Quintana, Miguel Angel Lopez are going to be pulling their cars? I mean, years ago, Benji, we'd be saying Valverde all day for this sort of stage in a, in a reduced bunch finish. But um, his sprint's been kind of terrible uh, lately. And he's, yeah, so uh, Valverde's a good option. That maybe there could be another break winning from, you know, if, if the right people go on that last climb, like I'm trying to think, Simon Geschke sort of guys, if they attack on the climb or Madua, will Ineos care? No. So, uh, yeah, it could be an interesting stage. Could be not an interesting stage. I mean, McNulty's <laughs> lost four minutes. He lost four minutes because he think I think he punctured and then he yeah. had to come back and then the pace went up on the climb. I'd love to see McNulty trying something on that final climb, uh, kind of like in Bass Country. I think he'd be a good option too. Yeah. But yeah. Any any other racing on? Any other news, Benji, we need to inform people about? Not that I'm currently aware of, but I'm pretty sure in about five minutes I'll be like, ah, I forgot to say that. But I think that we've basically said everything uh, we must on this Dauphiné. I think that the route is actually looking pretty interesting. It's not like the typical... Dauphiné parkour, I'd say. Like the last stage has that La Plagne finish, and I'm looking forward to seeing that because I think it's been a while, or is it the first time that they're doing it? I don't remember, but it's been at least like uh, a significant time that I heard that name. And they always test these climbs in the Dauphiné before they try and use them in the Tour de France in the coming years. So that's yeah. why the Dauphiné is always very interesting because they might be just trying out La Plagne to test it out in the Tour de France in the coming years. And yeah, if it's good in the Dauphiné, then it could certainly fit in the tour. So uh, awesome stuff. Looking forward to it. And I'm hoping that you'll be here with every single episode with us. All right. That's all from us today. We'll see you with Dauphiné Stage 2 Recap tomorrow. Ciao.